And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And there's never any question about whether you will enjoy the bat around. If you found us here on our little spot in the World Wide Web at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, or you've tuned in to um, Facebook Live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, you can enjoy seeing the sights and sounds of the bat around. Great, great show coming up for you today for the next two hours, especially the, the second out- hour <laughs> of the show. <laughs> <laughs> you got me good there, Craig. You stuck it up my uh, yeah, exactly up my keister. Yeah, huh? I gotta do. Can you talk for a minute? Because I gotta remember to uh, do this. To do what? I gotta remember to share this thing. Okay. Otherwise, you know, my huge Facebook audience. Well, all it is is a little it. button that says click and share, and <laughs> you'll be able to get it's, that done. It's forgetting to go to the press box um, spot, you know, all on, right. the, on the World Wide Web. We got, uh, we got some topics to talk about this morning. A puzzler. A puzzler. What, how did CBS CBSSportsOnline.com. God bless them. God bless them. says, Orioles acquire Helixon from the Phillies. In a puzzler. A deadline, <laughs> a deadline puzzler. puzzler. yeah. And I would say that's probably true. Uh, Orioles make the trade last night, sending Hunsu Kim and a minor league pitcher up to Philadelphia. And some international, and, and some international slot, slot, money. slot money. And I still, to this day, don't understand why the Orioles are so reluctant to test the international waters, the markets, and see what's available out there. Because really, to be able to compete in this day and age – you know, in Major League Baseball, you got to at least delve into that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And their reluctance to do so. Now, that's the puzzler. <laughs> that's the puzzler. And, Craig, let's be let's be honest. None of us, you know, and I, you know, look, I have my opinions of Dan Duquette. I have my opinions of Buck Showalter. I have my opinions of Peter Angelos. But all the geniuses now that are out of the woodwork that just bash Dan Duquette unmercifully – as if you all saw the the this rotation being as bad as it is this oh, year. Oh, nobody saw this nobody rotation. Nobody saw that. No, because essentially... You thought that Bundy was going to improve. You thought Gosman was going to improve. Gosman was going to take a big step right. forward, and then Tillman would be Tillman. You know, well, now you, granted, you knew you would in expect, spring training... You would expect him to be Tillman once he got going, you know, right. once he got a certain amount of starts, but really... Other than the last three starts prior to last night, yeah, it's been the three starts in a row where he held opponents to three runs or less in each of those three starts by not going very deep into the ball game, six innings, right. five innings, that kind of thing, but giving the Orioles a chance to win, you know, that's acceptable. Last night was not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell, and, and I go back to the offseason. He has the PRP injection in the, in, in the shoulder. In late December. In late December. We find out about it in late January. And we, Right. We find out about it a month later. But there is something going on with that shoulder because he is not throwing over the top like he used to. Uh, His cons- release point is kind of crazy. He's up way high, and, throwing wild and, pitches. And that's, that's what causes all of that. Yeah, yeah. And 
when he tries to overcompensate, he throws wild pitches. We saw one of those last night, way off the plate to the other side of the batter's box. And when he tries to throw the curveball, a lot of times it's not given a chance to really do its damage and break, if you will. It's staying up high. And, and it, there's just something wrong with that shoulder. I just wish they would have gotten it taken care of. I mean, if, if this requires surgery, let's get it done. Yeah, the unfortunate part, Craig, is that they kind of – they, they kind of tiptoed around it by acquiring, if you remember, they, they acquired Logan Verrett for some money. Right. Then they acquired Gabriel Noah about two weeks later. Then the, then the word came out about Tillman's PCP injection. Right. You know, and then they got all those other, you know, pitchers, which I got to be honest with you, when you look back on it, a lot of – Dan get, takes a lot of flack. You get eight or nine pitchers, you know, a couple of them, in Blyer – and Castro, and I'll still even throw Asher in there, are decent are decent pieces pieces on a team that you still feel can win at some point in time. Uh, it's just not happening this year. But all the geniuses that are going to attack Dan Duquette as if they know exactly what the parameters of how he can operate are. Mm-hmm. You know, somehow Peter, who I used to bash unmercifully 20 years ago, Somehow he's above the fray now, and it's Dan Duquette. You know, they got to get rid of Dan Duquette. Well, I maintain that Dan Duquette is still a pretty solid baseball guy who is probably trying to fight the fight with one hand tied behind his back well, in some ways. I, I, I totally agree with that assessment. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about this— doesn't mean he's immune to criticism or that he's immune to eventually getting fired, but— I don't see him as the the main problem here. I I don't either. And the other part about this, when you, when you talk about this year's pitching staff, to a large degree, you were hoping that you know Gosman took the next step. You were hoping Bundy improved. Uh, you would help, like you said, you would hope Tillman would be Tillman. Then you and have notice ball, how then, we then, notice but, how no, we haven't mentioned those. But two then guys. you have a Ballo and Miley, right? Who were worse than you could have who, imagined. Who were worse than you could have imagined? Miley's first month and a half was very solid, and yeah. since then, he's not been very good. But if you think about the last five years, dating back to 2012, right? the pitching staff was always a question mark. It's always been a, a work in progress. A work so in progress. Speak. It's yeah, always been a question mark. They picked up Miguel Gonzalez off exactly. the scrap heap. Uh, they found Wee-Yin Chen. You know, Jason Hamill was a great pickup, mm-hmm. but his last several pickups – have not been good. I'm talking about starting pitchers. Which brings us to Jeremy Hellickson. Yes. The, the, <laughs> the, the deadline puzzler. The de- deadline puzzler. Orioles go out and get a pitcher that over his career, uh, his best year was 13-10, and 10, I think back in uh, 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a guy who's four games over 500 for his career. His ERA just under four. Right. Uh, for his career. For his career. Can he help this team? Absolutely. They yeah. need they need somebody, especially with Bundy's innings issue and pitch limit, whatever that is, being being front and center here the last two months of the season. They need to to bring a guy in who will eat innings. Now, what does this mean in terms of the rest of the rotation? Uh, you know, do they give Bundy more time off in between right. starts? I think you're going to see that happen. Uh, whose spot does he take in the rotation? Is it going to be Ubaldo? Is it going to be Miley? 
all these questions will be answered in the next week. Yeah, I, I have a feeling the club is going to do something with Miley over the next – and I'm not saying it will necessarily be by Friday. I mean, I mean by Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, with the Santander coming off of the disabled list – and the club wanting to stake its claim on him. And as long as he, he plays a certain length of time in the majors, they can carry that whole thing over to next year now. And I think they're intrigued by him enough that he's going to take up a roster spot in about two weeks. And at that point in time, either before or right around then, I think that the, this is this move has been made with an eye of – hey, we need to shut Bundy down at a certain point once it's clear we're not going anywhere. And to you and I, it may be clear, but they're not going to quit on the season right now. No. But I think that with Bundy shutting down and maybe the eventual DFA of Miley in the next 10 days, that Hellickson makes some sense for this team that's been taking on water in its starting rotation – to maybe bail out a little bit of water, right? And I and I also think before now on Monday you'll see some movement uh, in a bullpen yeah. in in terms of moving either Britain uh, or uh, or Brock or Brock. Yeah, you know it's funny. O'Day I, as well. I, yeah, could be I, a part of that. I I'd love to see them move Britain. Look, when I say I'd love to see it, I'm talking about big picture thinking about how you're going to afford to improve the pitching, the starting pitching next year. And to me, O'Day's 8.2 or 8.3 next year and Britain's 11, uh, I mean 14 probably yeah, in, arbitration, in arbitration, is the perfect way to say, okay, there's $20 million we got rid of. We can bring in a $16, $17 million starter, okay? But, but having said that, the two pitchers haven't cooperated because right now, if I'm the Dodgers, Astros, or Cubs, my three top contenders, mm-hmm. and I, I include Washington as top four, but the Orioles won't deal with Washington. Yeah. I I say I say those teams. I don't know if they've seen enough of Britain or O'Day of late to say, boy, that's the guy who can help me. Well, I got a call from somebody in Colorado uh, last week, right? Who was was drilling me about whether okay. or not I saw any scouts from Colorado okay. there at Camden Yards taking a look at Britain. Okay. There was uh, certainly some discussion there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a scout that we see all the time, and Hank Allen's been on this show, he was telling me that his Astros, the team he works for, has a certain definite interest in Britain. Right. And really that would be a, a big coup for them if they could pull that off. The question, though, is they have a, a keen level of interest, but – is the level of interest the same as it would be? And I'm not talking about if Britain was 33 and 33 for saves right. and a one ERA. Just if he was pitching better, more crisply right now. Uh, but I think you can also, if you're smart baseball people, you can project that, hey, he's still rough around the edges, but by the middle of August or September 1st, he should be, he back, can to, be back to normal, right. and we'd have a weapon going into the postseason. And, 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 I think, and I think maybe you're overreacting a little bit, not you, but a lot of fans in terms of, well, he hasn't pitched that well. Keep well, in mind. I understand mind, the fan. Yeah, I understand that. But anyway, the, the idea of Britain, he came out and he, he set the record for consecutive saves, had a really nice inning. Yes, he gave up a base hit, but – Struck out two and then right. and then got out of the inning uh, on the ground out. But the two before that were pretty good, and the last one 
he, you know, the Orioles ha- were down quite a bit. Yep. And then he came in yeah, where his adrenaline might not be not going the same, the same right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't get great defense behind him either. Right. In that. Uh, let's uh, spell out what we've got on the show for you today. Uh, General Manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, Matt Slatus, is going to join us in about five minutes. Uh, Mike Shallon of the um, the uh, New Hampshire Union Leader. Mm-hmm. Is it Union Leader? I, I meant to check that out. Um, I think it is Union Leader. I think it is, but I want to make sure it is. But he's covered the Red Sox. For... He's covered the Red Sox. He's like the Jim Henneman of Boston. Yeah. He's an official scorer up there, and I wanted to talk to him, Craig. Um, and l- let me say, and then 11 o'clock, I'm leaving because I got a family function to go to. And that's why the second half of this show will be much better than the first half. But go ahead. Rich Dubroff <laughs> is going to join us. I don't know why. I know his name is Rich Dubroff. Yeah. But look what I put down. Rick. Rick Dubroff. There you go. Rick Dubroff. Well, you and, know, and, our, and, our, good, our, our friend, the boss, John Colson, was just yes. in here and he said. Turn off the alarm. No, no. no. He just said, it's, it's your age creeping up on you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then Chelsea James is uh, going to be on from the Washington Post. And you're also going to try and squeeze in Bill Latson uh, from MLB.com. He up is up in Cooperstown. He is up in Cooperstown. As, is that uh, this week? Yes. It's this Sunday? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Jeez, it was. Yeah. Time's end, creeping up. End of the month. There you go. Last weekend in July, always. <laughs> So, anyway, that's what I've we got. I've never had to worry about getting into the Hall of Fame. That's that's so. what we have on the agenda today. And uh, the Phillies, while dealing with the Orioles last night, they were also dealing with the team down the road and the Nationals sending a utility man, Howie Kendrick, to Washington for cash. You said the Nationals sent him. The Phillies The sent Phillies him. sent him, right, yeah. down to the Nationals. Uh, and uh, he will that's be a nice little pickup. That's a little. Uh, it's a nice well, little. You talk pickup. about him, and, and it's a veteran bat. Yeah, you talk about him and Adam Lynn. Now you've got you got a weapon there against either side that comes right. Into the game. Which also leads me to believe that this Jason Worth toe injury, yeah, is a little more serious than what they're leading on or have led on to this point because. Jason Worth had started baseball activities and, and as far as running goes and things of that nature. But uh, Dusty told us uh, just a couple of days ago that uh, they, had to back they off. backed off and they've kind of shut the running end of it down. So uh, this could be proved to be a very, very valuable move for the Nationals going forward the last two months very of the year nice. and into the postseason. Do you still see them as a player for another relief pitcher? There's too? no question in my mind. Okay. Or, and, and really kind of they'll look for a starter as well. Yeah. You know, I'm putting two and two together on something, and it's it's interesting. I think I think the guy that nah, I, I started to say Kelvin Herrera again because they just picked up Brandon Marr in that trade. Yeah, but but, but they're right in they yeah, they won they seven, are the story. They of won the seven season. in a row right they, now. They are the story of the season. Right, they really are. It's a fascinating uh, story, you right. know, about and, how a championship team together kind of held together by thread. By a thread early in the season, their season could have gone south in a hurry. Well, and that's kind of the difference between the Orioles and a team like the Royals. Obviously, the Royals play a little different style of baseball. Obviously, right with uh, the small ball, and you know they use their speed. Yes, they got some guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark, but their pitching's come together at the right time, and uh, they're getting hot at the right time. So All we'll right. see how that bodes the next two two months of the season. Everybody's got to remember. 
for for as some of the trends that we're seeing right now as we approach the trade deadline, there's still two months of baseball left, almost 60 games. All right. Joining us right now is somebody who's deep in the middle of his season, and that is general manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, one of our favorite people around here, Matt Slatus. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Stan. Good morning. How are you guys? And you know Craig Heist? Yeah. Craig, how's it going? Good. How you doing? Tell- Fantastic. Fantastic if this weather can hold off. Yeah, today. it's it's a it's a puzzler. It's a puzzler, it's a no puzzler. question. Hey, uh, tell us you've got, and we're going to get into a couple of the players uh, fans can can take a look at in the remaining home games you've got left, but you've got a big crab night coming up, and I knew Craig Heist wanted to know all the details about that. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to fill Craig in. So on uh, <laughs> August 11th, coming up, happens to be my mother's 61st birthday, we will actually change the name of the Ironbirds team. Um, so the, the Aberdeen Ironbirds that everybody have know, has known for the last 15 years are going to become, for one night only, the Aberdeen Steam Crabs. So in a, a little bit of a nod to the great state of Maryland and to our, our favorite it. crustacean, um, the team's got new uniforms. I was just going to crab trap. That was my first question. Are we getting new uniforms <laughs> for this one day event? Completely new uniforms, new on-field, new era, 5950 caps. Um, believe it or not, those caps have been so popular, we've shipped them as far as Beijing. Um, wow. They're available at LIDS. They're available throughout the country. Uh, and, you know, I'm definitely a baseball purist, so you're not going to see our guys dressed like crabbers. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's, it's a really cool pinstripe uniform with the new Steam Crabs logo. It's, uh, it's going to turn a lot of heads. I think people are really going to enjoy it that mm-hmm. night. And when you come out to the ballpark, um, if you can eat it, we've topped it with crab. And wow. it will be available throughout the stadium. It's just going to be a fun, fun night. Well, anybody that knows anything about me knows that, you know, if it's free, it's me. So we're looking for one of those shirts. <laughs> this is, but this is not we can, free, we can find Craig. something for you. This is not free, Craig. Uh, tell us a little bit now. You have crabs every night there, correct, at every ball game. We, we do. So we, we've got crabs or some semblance of them. Um, you know, we make our own in-house crab cake every single game. Uh, about 10 games throughout the year, we have an all-you-can-eat uh, crab feast available. So, you know, Cal, Cal is a big crabber who, who crabs down by his house, and uh, it's something that him and the, the family are passionate about. So we have crabs at the ballpark um, really every day. It's something definitely that's unique to Aberdeen and obviously unique to the state of Maryland. All right. Now, we're talking with Matt Slatus, general manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who won the uh, August 11th game, which is a Friday night, and you're playing West Virginia at 7.05, the Aberdeen Ironbirds for that one night will become the Aberdeen Steam Crabs. Um, the uniforms, is this something you think that might be a yearly tradition now so the uniforms won't get auctioned off? Or is this something you might try and auction those uniforms off like they do in the big leagues? So the, the early returns on the Steam Crabs are that this is so popular. Yep. I think we're going to trot that team out one time a year. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a great winner. Yep. But I think our fans should stay tuned because we are going to, for next season, have a Name the Team contest for one game. Uh, we'll have a Name the Team contest on Facebook and social media. Our fans will have the chance to actually vote on what the Aberdeen Ironbirds will be called that night. And then those uniforms will be created and designed and auctioned off. That's great. Great stuff. Minor leagues is full of creative ideas, and uh, none more so than out of our Aberdeen Ironbirds. How many more home games? It looks like I'm counting 
three, six, nine, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen more home games. Yeah, just about. So we're this homestand was actually the midway point of our home schedule. Uh, we play a thirty-eight game schedule, so we are we're now on the tail end, which makes me very sad. But yep. it, it, it's been a fun and fruitful year so far. This is your first full year at the helm, correct? It is, and you know, after not selling out a baseball game in the last 24 months, the Ironbirds have sold out two already, and tonight there's a very good chance we'll be our third, uh, and then we've got some more down the road as well. Matt brings up a good point in terms of, you know, the short A season for for teams. It, it does have to be a little disappointing, I would think, only for in the sense that you don't start until June, and then, and then all so of a sudden you snap it just your fingers snap and your fingers, the season's over. It happens in the blink of an eye, and you know, for me as a baseball guy, my wife calls it baseball light, and it gives me a little bit of a better home life. Um, but I, I, I miss going to the ballpark and having a, sing, a single game every day. I really do. Yeah, but you, uh, you got to enjoy what you have, and 38 is uh, a lot of fun. Well, I'll bet you have a better home life than Craig and I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very we've been married a lot longer we've been married a lot longer hey uh, do you in your position as Aberdeen Ironbirds general manager I know it's not like a major league general manager who signs and develops players and all that stuff do you have time to look down on the field and start to notice performance because one guy in particular and an unheralded name Scott Burke I'm looking at him. He's gotten into seven games as a relief pitcher, zero earned run average, and in ten and two-thirds innings, a 0.37 whip. Uh, are there some names out there that you're starting to pay attention to? Yeah, you know, Scott is absolutely one. Um, I think another one is a, a catcher named Ben Brazil. Uh, ben was a, a six-round pick of the Orioles this year, so a, a relatively high pick out of college, but not, you know, not the top two, three rounds. Right. Um, ben is batting well over 400 now midway through the season. And I was joking with Cal the other night because Cal's son Ryan is on our club as well. Um, you know, he too batting about 300. Uh, but but Cal made the remark to me that, you know, he's the only guy he's ever seen where when Ben goes three for four, he drops his average down. Uh, nice. This kid just keeps hitting and hitting and hitting. Uh, and he's a catcher. He's a, he's a little catcher with a, a lot of power and strong arm. Uh, and he's been a ton of fun to watch. Right-handed yeah. hitter or left-handed hitter? I believe a righty. Okay. I believe a righty, but don't quote me on that. All right. Um you know, and then even watching Ryan Ripken play, Ryan started the year a little bit slow, but I'll tell you from about the fifth game on, he has just been on a tear, smacking the ball hard and um, really playing well in the, the ballpark that bears his name. Does does Dad come out to see him a good bit? He, he has been out to the ballpark, yeah. you know, and every time he comes out, he's he's a proud papa yeah. um, watching his son play professional baseball, which is uh, a feeling I can only imagine, uh, and hopefully we'll we'll have the opportunity one day. All right, but, now, uh, I'm not putting you on the spot because you're not the guy that signs them and develops them. Is there any starting pitching that you've seen so far uh, in the first half of this season that, you you know, you can say, this guy's projectable, he can make it to the next level next year, and he should be on his way? So we've got a, a kid on our team, and I'll call him a kid because he just turned 19 years old. Uh, his name is Brennan Hannafee. Okay. He actually grew up in Maryland, grew up in Cecil County, and you know, it was told me before that growing up he would come to Ironbirds games every weekend with his parents. Uh, he was an Orioles draftee last year who spent the season in the Gulf Coast League, 
he'll actually start game one tonight of our two-game doubleheader at 435. Okay. Um, Brennan, for a 19-year-old, to me, looks like somebody who's got real talent. Um, you know, he's got Pedro Martinez numbers in our New York Penn League, <laughs> uh, and, and that's a league full of 22, 23, 24-year-olds. So for what he's doing right now, particularly at such a, a young age, yep. he's really advanced. Um, and that's a guy that if I was an O's fan or as an O's fan, I would absolutely watch out for because I don't think it's going to be very long until you see him start climbing the ladder here. All right. Brennan Hanafi, 19 years old, and you, you make a really good, uh, accurate assessment there. When you look at a guy who's one of the youngest guys in the league that he's playing in and he's up at the top statistically – that's generally a good sign. It is, and the thing to remember about our league is you've got so many kids who played at you know, big-time SEC college schools, big-time universities, college World Series. He's a kid who, you know, 18 months out of high school, is just mowing them down. Well, in terms of uh, the big league club and the way the pitching problems have uh, developed this year, <laughs> I say bring him up. <laughs> it can't hurt. certainly can't hurt. But it was good to see them make a move and uh, you know, get an arm in here. Uh, we're talking with Matt Slatus. He's general manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds. You still got the – we've been plugging it all season long, the Green Turtle special. Uh, you still got that going on? So, so we actually finished our last Green Turtle special last night. Um, but that was four game tickets, four Green Turtle meals, uh, four Ironbirds caps for $49.96. And we sold over 1,000 of those. So that will be absolutely back next year. And hopefully the fans can enjoy it just as much as they did this year. Green Turtle, a great partner for something like that. And that was, as Craig and I know from reading the spots, that was a $208 value for $49.96. I'm curious, why was it $49.96 rather than either – Forty nine ninety nine or fifty dollars. Just sounded like a cool number. You, know, you read uh, you read all that Walmart pricing uh, literature and the psychology of sales, and it worked. Okay, I like Not, it. Nothing too fancy. I like it. Uh, let me ask you this real quick, and and this has to do with we were talking about Ryan Ripken, uh, along with him, and of course I had a chance to go down to Delmarva uh, a couple of weeks ago and talk to Preston Palmero. How do you see those two guys, or at least in where, where you're at, Ryan, how it's so, so often it's hard when you're the son of a big-time major league player, and in this case, in Ryan's case, a Hall of Fame player. Uh, how, do you, how do they handle that on a day-to-day basis? You know, I, I think every athlete's different, but I, I credit Cal and I – credit Rafi and the way they, they raised those two kids. Um, you know, I, in a lot of ways, it gives them an advantage. I think, A, they've been around the press before, so they know what to expect, even if it was just as a young kid. And, and B, they saw how hard their parents worked to get to a certain level. Um, interestingly enough, we've got a ton of children or kids on our team with parents who had athletic careers this year. So uh, Brandon Bonilla is Bobby Bo's son. Bobby was someone I grew up growing up watching as a Mets fan in New York. The other one I find really interesting, an outfielder named Zach Jarrett. He's actually Dale Jarrett's son. So, you know, you look at these guys and you probably couldn't have two more different types of athletes and a NASCAR driver and a baseball player. Yeah. But regardless they understand work ethic, I think, at a different level from a, a kid who's self-driven and got himself to that point. 
just growing up around the clubhouse, growing up around the track, it, it's certainly an advantage. It was funny because Preston told me, he says, the one thing I've learned just by being up here and, 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 and being drafted uh, by the Orioles and getting a chance to play uh, in Delmarva is the fact that, you you know, he says it's, it's day in and day out. Your work ethic has to be there, he says, because if, if you go five days in a row and you don't work as hard as you're supposed to, then you'll have five days in a row or maybe two weeks where you don't play as well as you're supposed to play. You don't play as well as you're supposed to play, and I would argue if you go five days in a row not playing well, you might not play the next Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And in an industry where you're constantly grinding to get to the next level, you really can't afford to be sitting on the bench for five days. Well, you know, Stan and I were talking a little bit, of, uh, you know, about another issue with the Orioles in terms of Dan Duquette and where fans aren't privy to, uh, you know, certain aspects of what Dan's job is and maybe the parameters he has to work with. Well, I'll say this about, you know, I don't think fans in general know how hard it is to play this game. No, I would agree with you. I mean, I would think they look out on the field and they just think these players automatically should be great, you know, because we've got them. You know, it's real hard to develop good players. It's incredibly hard, and I would argue that fans don't understand uh, how tough it is sometimes to be a minor league team. I I hemmed in hard last night with a – our ground screw and our weather guys for 90 minutes before we finally decided to cancel the game. So it's, uh, you know, any level of baseball has uh, its challenges that, um, unfortunately, I think fans aren't always privy to, but, but they're out there just like they are in any other industry. Hey, Matt, I've gotten to know you in the, in the year you've been around or 11 months or so. You know, is this job, did it turn out, and I know the kind of work you've put in and the creativity you've shown, and it's great to see some of it pay off. Has this job been kind of exactly as Cal and the, the ownership kind of portrayed it to be, and are you, you happy you made the move? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, first of all, Cal and Bill and the whole family have been incredibly kind to my wife and I. Um, and I, I am very lucky. I inherited a team, and I think if you ask anybody in our industry, you know, who are the top 10 or 20 minor league baseball teams in America out of 159, um, everybody puts the Ironbirds there. And it doesn't mean that the Ironbirds can't get better. It doesn't mean that the ballpark doesn't need improvement. But those things are all relatively simple to do and we're doing them so yeah I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to have this opportunity and in the 11 months or so that I've been here it's been a heck of a lot of fun all right let's recap a little bit and get a couple bits of more information and again tonight you've got a double header to make up from last night <clears throat> so tonight starting at 4:35, uh the Ironbirds host the Hudson Valley Renegades the single a affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays so a nice America really American League East battle um First pitch to game one at 435. Minor league baseball rules will play two seven-inning games. Okay. You only need one ticket to see both games. And we don't have a significant number of tickets left. Um, probably under 500 tickets left for tonight's game. Fans can visit ironbirdsbaseball.com to purchase tickets. And then after the second game tonight, we'll launch fireworks. And, and is the weather supposed to hold off and cooperate? I was on my handy-dandy weather app just before I got on this phone call, and it says that between now and about 
Thursday, there is a 0% chance of rain Ooh. in Aberdeen, Maryland. All right, I'm, <laughs> so I love that. We should be good. Now, and I've got a couple more things I want to touch on. On Thursday, the 11th of August, I want our, our audience to know about this because it's something different. It does occur in the minor leagues. But I see an 11.05 start time there, which might just be perfect for some senior citizens or grandfathers who want to take their grandkids out. Tell us a little bit about that day. Yeah, so we will play. Um, it's actually Thursday, August 10th. The 11th will be our school I'm sorry. Day, I'm sorry. That's yep, okay. It's the 10th. Thursday, Thursday the 10th. August 10th, we'll play um, an 11.05 a.m. game, and you got it, Stan. It's for those seniors. It's for the day camps. Uh, anybody who has a hard time getting out of work and getting to the ballpark in time for a 6.05 or a 7.05 game, uh, we've got something going on that day. We're calling it nine innings of brunch. So we'll have your traditional Sunday morning brunch buffet available on our club level. You'll get a game ticket, an Ironbird's cap, and it's, it's $40 for the whole thing. That sounds so super. That business sounds guy super. who wants to entertain, if you're a, a senior who wants to get out for an early morning, come on out to the ballpark and you know catch our Ironbirds. All right. Now, let's recap one more thing. Is the 11th. Tell us again about why you're changing the team's name for one night only. Sure. So in, a, in an ode to the state of Maryland um, and to honor our famous crustaceans for that one game, August 11th at 7.05, the Ironbirds are going to play as the Aberdeen Steam Crabs. We've got new uniforms, new types of ballpark cuisine. All of our in-game entertainment will be themed to crabs. We've got our new mascot, Calvin the Crab, who will be out at the park. It's, it's going to be Ironbirds baseball, but the Ironbird piece stops at baseball. Everything that night in the ballpark is going to be about steam crabs, crabbers in the state of Maryland, new uniforms for the team, new merchandise. It's just going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, the staff, though, won't act crabby, will they? They better smile, but they probably right. have crabby-branded clothing on. All right. Hey, we really appreciate your coming on, Matt. It sounds like a lot of fun still to be had uh, here at the tail end of July and into August. Again, Aberdeen Ironbirds, great partners uh, for press box and great partners for uh, uh, Hartford County and uh, and around uh, because it's a, just a wonderful ballpark and a wonderful minor league atmosphere. We thank you for coming on, Matt. Thank you guys. Have a great weekend. All right, we'll see you soon. All right, there you have it, Matt Slatus. We we're yep. talking about trades. We know the trade deadline is on Monday at four o'clock. At four o'clock. Why yes. is it four o'clock rather than like midnight? I don't know. Okay. I and is know. it 4 o'clock on the Eastern time? <clears throat> yes. Okay, it, it ends. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha. All right. And, and a lot of times you don't hear about things that happen right at the deadline because everything has to be finalized yeah. and things of that nature. But uh, we were talking about the Nationals earlier with the addition of Howie Kendrick, and you asked me Are they about still in the pitching. Market? Yeah. And according to our good friend Ken Rosenthal, they're uh, talking to the Tigers about Justin, Justin Wilson. Wilson. Right, but there's about six or seven so other, other teams, teams talking that, about. Yeah, so nothing definitive or no clear front runner yet. Uh, but Mike Rizzo needs a closer, uh, and I'm sure that he'll be looking that way. All right. Uh, I had thrown out that Kelvin Herrera thing because they had picked up Brandon Morrow, who I think has 20 saves this yeah. year with San Diego, high ERA. But I don't see uh, Drayton, Drayton Moore and Ned Yost being willing to give up Herrera right no, now. No, because not only are they in a wild card race, they're right there in that division race. No question about it. They are. <clears throat> they are red hot. And uh, we will return after these commercial words from the New Hampshire union leader. Mike Shallon will join us, and we're going to talk some interesting stuff 
that went on this week in baseball, both with the Red Sox and uh, the Twins and the Dodgers. Let's find out from Mike whether yeah. or not there's a minor league team up there having a lobster night for one night. I like that yeah. idea. All right. We'll be right back. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. And we hope you're enjoying the bat around. Stan the Fan along with Craig Heist and uh, joining us now from his home up in uh, lovely Boston, uh, Massachusetts and I'm assuming it's a lovely home and a lovely uh, city of Boston that he lives in is my good friend Mike Shallon, who is uh, a columnist with the New Hampshire Union Leader and longtime Boston writer as well as New York. And he's an official scorer for a lot of the Boston Red Sox games. And Mike Shallon, how are you? Good morning. 
How is your home? Is it a lovely home? It's a it's a sprawling uh, estate. Um, <laughs> as as the great Ralph Cramden would say, I have a string of Palopines. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> what a great show! Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. We, uh, you know, I'm, in fact, before you called, I was out checking the lower forty just to make sure that the that the fencing is okay, so my uh, my giraffes don't escape. Oh, well, great! You, go, you right? have giraffes. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. They have very long necks. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Uh, you know. It's like our president. I, I, people would be surprised at how long giraffes' necks are. Well, it, that means they can look out for your property, you know? Well, exactly. Yeah. Nobody, nobody ever robbed the property that was guarded by giraffes. Right. We're talking with Mike Shallon. Mike, I've got two. I've got two topics right off the bat. I want to get to because uh, I, I follow you on social media and, and enjoy your stuff a lot. Uh, what's your take on David Price's being so touchy? Uh, and and really, I think having escalated this thing with Dennis Eckersley, when you start telling him to get the f out of here, yeah. and I think they're on a plane at the time, right? They're on a plane in the aisle, right? Yeah. Um, which has now forced a change in team charters. I understand. I don't know if it's league wide, but now the broadcasters and TV people get on first, okay, and go to the back of the plane, and uh, kind of sounds like the South, you know, in the old, in the old yeah. days. Uh, but they have to go to the back of the plane and just, you know, just hang out there in the back of the plane before the players, before the 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 uh, gifted ones uh, aboard. <laughs> I, you know, I wrote when this when when David's first tirade uh, happened in New York, um, when he screamed at the, at reporters. I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. I don't understand what he's so angry about. Um, I think the root of the whole thing is that people never talk about him without bringing up the postseason record. Yep. And I think it's gotten to him. Um, now he's become, you know, uh, he's become an enemy of the people, really. Yep. And he's, you know, there's a there's an opt out after next season in the contract with 127 million dollars still out there or something. See, I believe that's the number. And you're going to have an interesting decision. How much, you know, because he, if he keeps, you know, if he keeps performing the way he has, mm-hmm. he's obviously not going to get more money than the Red Sox already have given him. So you're going to have a decision to make. How, how much do you want to get out of Boston? Uh, I just, I don't, I don't get it. You know, and the thing with Eck, you know, uh, the, I mean, Eck, Eckersley is a popular guy up there, isn't he? Well, you know, it was proven last night as I was leaving the stadium last night. Uh, I was actually writing the game last night for Sports Exchange, and um, we were uh, a buddy of mine, and I were told that uh, the fans really let him have it, leaving the ballpark, and you know ran ran down the street after his armored vehicle and booed him and yelled at him, and you don't mess with Eck, you know, and right. and, and especially since the thing that they're the thing that he's apparently mad about was. They they put the numbers up on the screen of a rehab start for Eduardo Rodriguez, who ironically enough pitches um, today pitches tonight. Yeah, uh, and it, you know the, it was a it was a rocky start, and and X said yuck, you know, uh-huh. he was saying yuck to the numbers, not to Eduardo not to the Rodriguez. Person, right, and um, supposedly the other thing that ticked him off was uh, Price failed to cover first base in time on a play. And Eck criticized him and said, listen, I've done it. 
I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, he put it right back on himself, too. And I talked to Eck a little bit about this, um, actually off off the record a week before the actual details broke. I knew exactly what happened, and, and he said it was the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And he, did, he just he stood there dumbfounded, did not know what to do. And um, unfortunately, that's what you have now, and you have a guy who who has a, you know, there's some people who aren't, aren't suited to play here, yep. you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't, the, the, the match is not there. David Price would have been much better off in St. Louis, uh, a, a place that, you know, the, they love the players blindly in St. Louis, and they don't do that here, and he's got a very difficult situation ahead of him right now, and I, it'll be very interesting to see. First, first of all, let's just hope for his sake that it's not Tommy John surgery. Right. Right. That's the that's the that's the number one thing, and you hope for the guy's for the guy's own sake that he's not seriously hurt. Because as soon as this happened yesterday, the conspiracy theory started. Yeah, you know, that you know he's faking this, or they're faking this. They right. don't want him on the mound at Fenway. If he misses his starts at Fenway, he can go on the road and pitch there. Um, but to me, if that were the case, wouldn't they have just come up with a different injury? Yeah. You know, like a hamstring or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Just the or like we do in Baltimore with Ubaldo, he stepped in a pothole in the parking yeah. lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's a, it was a very interesting day yesterday. You know, and then naturally, after the game last night, the the people that you know that you, you talk to in the press box, you know, they start, they had the Farrell watch going on again. You know, um, has he lost control of this team? He did nothing about this situation. He yep. did not apologize on behalf of his player. To Eckersley, um, supposedly the club did. Sam Kennedy, the president, whatever title he has, I, I think he he reached out. Um, but it's um, it's a bad internal situation. It's one that probably wouldn't have happened if David Ortiz was still here. Yeah, I agree um, with you. But then again, a lot of their offensive woes wouldn't have happened if David Ortiz were you know were still here. I think his absence is affecting everybody on and off the field. I got one more quick question about yeah. the, about this issue. Was it correct what I heard? Now, I know you weren't on the plane, but what I heard was when he told Eckersley, like, get the F off of here or whatever, you know, that the players, though, applauded applauded Price and sort yeah, of said, that's right, get the, F, get the F off of here. Well, you know, he was, I don't know if he was trying to show he's the, he's the leader of this team, um, which is odd given his behavior. Uh, but yes, and and supposedly Pedroia was part of that. And Pedroia said last night he was not part of that. Right. My source tells me he was part of that. Right. I mean, this is this is something. I heard one one uh, one account last night that that once Eck moved on from the humiliation or whatever that was, he passed he passed Pedroia, and Pedroia basically then backed up Price. So uh, who knows? Regardless, yeah. There's no leadership on this team. Um, there's a, um, you know, they're out of first place now. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to stay there because I still think they're the best team in the division. But if you don't, you know, chemistry and karma can be, can be a problem, you know, and and now you got, you got kind of a neat story being written in New York. You know, all of a sudden the Yankees, the the hated, uh, the, the empire, if you will, has got the, you know, a bunch of these kids and, 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 Girardi, who who runs a, a tight ship and wasn't afraid to come out and take CC Sabathia out the other night in the fifth inning of a three-two game, um, you know, uh, 
19 rookies or whatever it is, and you've got, you got two Frasers on this team now that weren't there a few weeks ago, and you've got Judge and you've got Sanchez, and, and Gregorius is playing great. They're, they're, kind of a, they're kind of a lovable team. The Yankees have never been a lovable team. So it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out. I don't, I don't know if the, if the Rays are legitimate, um, but every time I think they're not, they turn around and show me that they are. So, but it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of months going, going down the stretch. Those Yankees are interesting, but I still say Brett Gardner is the star straw that stirs the drink up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's been fabulous for them. Uh, and, and you know what? He's a lot like, to me, like Dustin Pedroia is with the Red Sox in the sense that if you're not a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan, you can't stand these two guys. Right. But, but if, if you were starting a team, those would be two of the guys you'd want to start it with. <laughs> yeah, plus, plus, you know, they've, they've gotten rid of um, uh, the, 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 the world has gotten rid of Gardner, you know, more times than turnover in the White House. You know, right. he's been traded and been... He's going here. He's going there. He's not going to come back. He's not going to do this. But you know, the other night for him to to get a triple on a home run in the, in the late innings and turn around and become, I think he's the third Yankee ever to end a game with a walk off homer and then homer his first time up the next game. Uh, he's been terrific. But don't don't sleep on uh, don't sleep on what Gregorius has done, especially coming back since the All Star game. Yep, he's been one of the hottest hitters in the American League. So. Uh, and last night, for them to get the, the performance they got out of Tanaka, you know, maybe maybe that makes Brian Cashman think, you know, maybe I don't need to overpay for Sonny Gray. Maybe I can just get a back of the back of the rotation guy because now you got Severino, Tanaka, CC's been okay. Um, you know, you've got you you might have enough because they've put together a bullpen that turns it into a five inning game. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Mike Shallon of the uh, New Hampshire Union Leader. Mike, I very rarely suggest a column for you, <laughs> but but seriously, I, I as I was talking about the David Price incident, I was reminded of uh, how Steve Stone, a very popular broadcaster with the Chicago Cubs, former player like Dennis Eckersley, how he was kind of run out of Chicago because of his criticisms. Now, when I say out of Chicago, out of the Cubs broadcast right. booth, um, Andy McPhail and Dusty Baker didn't stand up for him. This is going back about 10 years ago, I think, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years ago. Sounds very similar to this situation. Uh, it might be an interesting thing for you to talk to Steve Stone about. Well, you know, uh, they're here next week. Yeah, that's so, why uh, I mentioned it. Yeah, and... Um you know, it's a very fine line for these guys, you know, to cross over, uh, to be, to go from being one of us to one of them. Yep. And, and it's, um, you know, Mike Timlin did the games on the West Coast uh, that the Red Sox just played. He was, he was so bad that, um, you know, but the whole thing was we and us. And yeah. He put a good, in fact, in fact, he, he, he uh, evoked memories of the great Dizzy Dean. He said somebody swang at a pitch. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't hear that every day. And he also said he hit the crap out of that ball. So you, you know, and then the, so you had Johnny Gomes on last night, and, the, and I, I heard during the game, and then I, I saw on Twitter that you know, somebody thought he said, you know, uh, I don't know how S blank blank T on the air. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not an easy job, and it is a, a tightrope that you walk. You know, you're there. 
you know, Eck has never made it a secret who he's rooting for. He says we. He doesn't say yeah. it every every yeah. sentence like Timlin did. But he says we need a home run here. We need a we need a blast here. He's a Red Sox. You know, he yep. just he just did a a forward for me for this uh, this this book I'm working on. And and you know, he, he he was born. You know, he was born in Oakland, and he pitched in as you know Chicago and St. Louis and Cleveland. Yeah, you know, yep. Oakland had its great greatest moment. Cleveland. But he's a Red Sox, and yep. the Red Sox are his team, his home, and Fenway's his home. Boston is home, and Fenway's home. So, um, you know, for him to get blindsided by something so stupid as this, yeah. and you know, it just would be ironic if if this would be this year's uh, fried chicken and beer. Yeah. Mike, you were talking about you 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 were talking about the fact that maybe David Price, maybe Boston isn't the best place for him to be pitching, uh, in terms of you just can't. Maybe handle the a little more pressure there all than, the pressure than Tampa, that goes, right? That goes along with that. Now, having said that, I'm reminded of Albert Bell coming to the Orioles, and everybody kind of knew what they were in for when when he came here. But a lot of what happened leading up to that, you know, the fact that there were rumors that he was going to go to New York, and then you know. Management with the Orioles said, well, that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to get him first, right? And as it turned out, I mean, obviously Albert produced here until the 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 injury, the hip injury, and they had, you know, they had the insurance settlement and that kind of thing. But I always looked at Albert and said, you know, if he'd ever gone to New York, he would have imploded up there. Yeah. And and that to me sounds like the same thing you're talking about with Price. Well, you would you would think he would have imploded, but the only the only um, comparables that I can come up with to Albert would have been Sheffield, who went to New York and thrived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mo Vaughn, who had it not been for injuries, you know, went to New York and he obviously had no prize from New York. Um, you know, I I don't think you can predict these things. I mean, there are certain things you can predict, like when the Red Sox signed Carl Crawford, and gave him $40 million more than anybody else. I, I know Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford played for my brother as a little kid in basketball down in Houston. Uh, he didn't want to go to, to Boston. He had no desire to go to Boston or New York at all. Right. But he said that what his agent called with the offer, he almost drove his car off the road. Right. So he comes <laughs> to Boston with no place in the, batting, in the lineup for him. Right. They didn't need him, and they gave him $144 million. And, you know, just some things you can predict, but you, you, you don't know. I mean, you, there's no reason to think that. Now, the, 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 only, the only red flag on price would be the postseason record. And, you know, obviously you're coming here to pitch in the postseason. But other than that, I, I, never, heard, I never heard anything. You know, look at, look at the guy's September and October record, not, not in the postseason. He's been a phenomenal guy. Uh, but then again, you start to wonder about him moving around so much. And uh, I, I always found him as a visiting player to be kind of a intelligent, introspective kind of guy. He never never seemed to dodge the media. And I noticed that my friend Mark Topkin down in St. Pete is being asked about this and refuses to get in the middle of it. And good for him. Uh, but uh, you, you don't know. You don't know. And the Red Sox went out and they gave him two hundred seventeen million dollars. And he should have signed with the Cardinals. In my mind, there was no question when it happened. He should have gone to St. Louis, and and certainly it's being uh, backed up now. 
I want to move on to another topic that was fascinating this week, and we've got about five, six minutes to, to mull it over. I'm watching the Twins at Dodgers game the other night, and all of a sudden, and I'm sort of half watching it and doing some work and reading and doing stuff, and all of a sudden, the, I see they bring in a, I think they brought in a relief pitcher, the, uh, the Twins brought in a relief pitcher, and they did a double switch. Mm -hmm. The pitcher threw one pitch, and then all of a sudden, I may have gone to the room, the next room to get some pretzels or something, and I come back, and there's a delay, and I'm not quite following it. Turns out it's an 18-minute delay over an illegal double switch. And tell me where I'm wrong here. And apparently, Bob Guerin, the uh, bench coach for Dave Roberts in L.A., knew that they, they had made an illegal switch, waited one pitch into the next batter, to come out and bring it to the umpire's attention, and this led to an 18-minute, you know, brouhaha that ended up having the umpires not talking to New York as to how to solve it, but talking to Mike Shallon or Jim Henneman as to how to rectify the situation. <laughs> well, you know, the funny—it was—it's been a tough week for the umpires. Yeah. Um, they threw Adrian Beltre out of the game the other terrible, night for terrible for dragging the mat. Uh, the, the on deck he circle. Goes, for, there, there are no more on deck circles. I'm telling you right now, forget the rules. He goes to the Hall of Fame just, just for that. Yeah. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen. You know, what, what, what people don't realize is the, the teams that have those mats, they're there for decoration. Right. Yeah, well, um, you know what? The Orioles took theirs off because they're usually made of some kind of a slippery yeah, substance exactly. if it gets and, wet. and yeah. gets wet during rain delays and what have you. And one of Buck's players wound up falling on, you know, sliding and slipping and then falling on his butt. So they've taken them off both sides of the dugouts, and, and they just draw a little circle yep. uh, on the dirt. So That happened here with Jason Veritek, and, and they were gone, yeah. I think, the next day. Um, but, you know, it's it, – so there are no on-deck circles anymore. So Jerry Davis decided all of a sudden, and I, some, of the, some of these guys do cheat. There's no question about it. But he was, he was further away that, from home play. You see guys, there are guys, now you, you look on the, on the center field camera, and you can see the on-deck hitter mm -hmm. from, uh, Terrible. You know, in your screen. Yeah, they, they so there, there is an abuse of it. But, yep. you know, I mean, come on, have a little sense of humor. I thought what he did was a riot. Yep. It was great. Um, you know the same. I think it was the same night as um, Will Little decided to throw out all the Blue Jays. Yeah, that uh, that was well. You know what? And that's the that's the irony of it all <laughs> is the fact that umpires like Will Little uh, wind up doing that, and and the pitches that they're calling or not calling are strikes in this case and Stroman's case, and I, it's just ridiculous. Last night, um, uh, who was it that that? Uh, well, oh, it was uh, Jay Happ, yeah. again, the, in, with the Blue Jays. He thought he had strike three on, um, who was it? He walked somebody with the bases loaded. And Angel Hernandez was behind the plate and last Angel Hernandez yeah. came out and chased him. He barked at him. So i got, I got to run back to this because we only oh, got okay, about yeah. two minutes. But what, so. happened, what happened there was a simple case of let's have a meeting. You know, they, they love to have their little meetings, and it, it's my feeling and has been since day one of the reviews that we should have a five-man umpiring crew. You rotate them five at a time. You rotate them. One guy's up in a box somewhere. If he sees something, he buzzes down and says, I see something. There's no challenges. There's none of this. 
They do what college football does. They buzz down, they look at it, and it's all taken care of. This this was just, you know, I I, I can't even imagine. Now, you, you look at the time of game, you got to factor those 18 minutes, and it's not like a rain delay. Right. And what happened was uh, there was a miscommunication between Molitor and the umpire on who was coming out. And, you know, I... I, I they don't. There are, there are a lot of situations now where you kind of look and you say, "How did they arrive at that decision?" But they have their little meetings, and that's what they do. It has not been. It has not been a, a great year for the umpires, and we, it seems like we say that every year now. Uh, but you know, and, and you, you you ask people about it, and they get uh, they get very they get very defensive. I forget what happened last week at Fenway, where the pool reporter had to go had to go talk to Cedarstrom and. You know, he was not very, very nice about it, and sometimes they just think they're the show. And I, I just think that there are times where things come up and they don't know what to do. And the rule book, which I have with me at every game, obviously, as a scorer, you know, it can get confusing. Yep. You know, and, and there's no question about that. It's, a, it's unfortunate that this took 18 minutes, but it just gave us something more to talk about. And, and um, you know, we had a... a, a we had a, uh, oh, that was I think there was a the, the Red Sox protested, right? And uh, I don't even remember what it was anymore. And it was like five days ago. But these things happen so so frequently now. But Farrell came out and protested, and uh, you know it's listen. They got a tough job. We know that. Uh, I was always dead set against robotic balls and strikes calls. I'm starting to lean the other way I'm now. I'm leaning the other way. You know, entirely just to, just to get it right because some of these. Uh, some of these calls are just ridiculous. But if, he, Mike, if more people would understand that they're not out there, fans do not come to the game to watch the umpires, a lot of this would alleviate itself. All right, Mike, we greatly appreciate your coming on, as always, and uh, keep up the great work, all right? I got to get back to my Peloponnese. And, and, <laughs> and get those that get the upper 40. Everybody always worries about the lower 40. Isn't that something? Get the yeah. upper 40. Feed yep. the giraffes. Whatever you do, feed the giraffes. Well, right. what I do is I give them yesterday's column. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, Mike <laughs> Shallon. All right. Bye-bye. He's great. All right. We're going to take a quick timeout. Yeah. And then you'll be sitting in this chair. Well, you can still sit I'm in that sit chair. here. Okay. You sit right where you are. I will see you all next week. Uh, Inside Press Box tomorrow morning. Interesting show, 1030 on ABC2. Matt Tyner, uh, new Towson baseball coach. Ali Andrzejewski, former All-American soccer player and professional soccer player and does some great stuff with soccer. And Sarah Ellison from the Ravens, who's got this new uh, podcast series called Man of the Crowd about John Harbaugh and the Harbaugh family. Ravens really have some issues in terms of player personnel at this point. Ooh, boy, do they. Yeah. All right, we'll talk soon, and we'll be back. Craig Heist will solve the puzzler, uh, yeah. the, the deadline puzzler. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. 
It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We, We talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Press Box Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick fil A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick fil A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the watermelon mint lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue Sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlowski we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only. Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with PressBox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, PressBox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. Around, I'm Craig Heist, and the fan has exited stage left, almost like Snaggletooth. Remember that cartoon? No? Exit, stage left. Anyway, so he is gone, and uh, he'll be back with me next Saturday. And uh, we are a couple of days away from the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. It occurs on Monday at 4 o'clock. The Orioles in Texas taking on the Rangers after their 8-2 loss Last night in a game in which uh, Chris Tillman did not pitch very well and to talk about that and uh, some of the things that have happened uh, because the Orioles uh, were involved in a trade last night is Rich Dubroff of uh, PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And Rich, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Greg. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Let me ask you something. Uh, The game ends last night. And uh, before the game ended, we knew that Hellickson had been pulled from his start up in Philadelphia. So the Orioles wind up pulling the trigger uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. They send uh, Hunsu Kim and a minor leaguer up to Philadelphia in return for uh, starter Jeremy Hellickson and uh, cash considerations. And, of course, the Orioles gave up some international slot money uh, to the Phillies. Uh, what's your take on this? And the reason I ask that, first of all, is because 
CBSSports.com, their headline about this was uh, a baffler at the trade deadline, a deadline baffler. So what is your take on all of this with the Orioles? Well, my take is that uh, if taken alone, it's a trade baffler. If nothing else happens between now and 4 p.m. Monday, uh, it's, a, it's a minor baffler. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there are a number of, you know, maybe a number of other moves to come. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Orioles could not go on with the starting pitching that they had, even, you know, just to complete the season, I think. Right. Uh, you know, Chris Tillman, uh, Chris Tillman looked absolutely awful last night. And he uh, was, uh, his body language was, uh, w- was not very good. Uh, and obviously he he uh, he pitched really he pitched really poorly, and I think that they realize that you know I, I think that they I think that they're not deluding themselves in thinking that they can get into the wild card. Uh, I think fans who just look at it, uh, you know, from that narrow viewpoint, would say, "Oh, what what are they doing?" And, and it's going to be hard to re-sign Jeremy Helson, but he's the kind of pitcher that they probably need. Uh, in their rotation, you know, a, a guy like him in 2000 and, you know, 2018. So uh, they, they traded stuff that they really weren't, uh, you know, really had little use for. Hunsu Kim uh, had not played very much this year. And when he played, and he was given opportunities, he didn't produce like he did last year. Garrett Clevenger, the minor league pitcher, they had had high hopes for, but this year, when they they moved him to Double A Bowie, he didn't pitch well, mm-hmm. uh, and they are they're not spending that uh, that money on international draft picks, which a lot of fans are upset about, and I can certainly uh, understand that. So, uh, you know, I, I just think that this is one of uh, a number of moves we're going to see between now and uh, you know n- now and Monday at four o'clock. Well, what the what do you what do you think the uh, possibility is? Now, as we head toward Monday at four o'clock, that the Orioles do no longer have Zach Britton or maybe even Brad Brock as part of this bullpen. I, I think that they're pretty good, uh, but I think that the, the problem with trading Zach Britton, Craig, is that there is very little market—not for a pitcher of his abilities. Everybody would love to have a pitch, a reliever of his abilities, but. Uh, you're on the, you're going to be on the hook for maybe 14 or 15 million dollars next year, and the number of teams that can afford to have a 14 or 15 million dollar closer is very small. Mm-hmm. And two of those teams, the Yankees and the Red Sox, oh. already have pitchers, Craig Kimbrell and and uh, Aroldis Chapman, who fit into that um, you know that category. Uh, the Dodgers already have one, although they they may they are certainly interested in, in Britain, but there are very, very few teams that, you know, can afford them. I mean, maybe the Astros, uh, you know, the Astros are certainly interested in them. The Cubs uh, had a scout at the, uh, at the game last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, you know, they, they may be interested, but they may have uh, exhausted their top, uh, their, their top prospects by, uh, you know, sending four of them for, uh, for Jose Quintana. So I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard to uh, to make a deal with him. With Brock, it'll probably be easier. But Brock doesn't have the, you know, Brock doesn't have the cachet right. that uh, that Britain does. That Britain does. 
and you know, or and you know, how many teams are, are looking for a, a close? You know, are looking for a closer. Not that many. Not that many, but there are. I mean, certainly the Astros, to me, uh, and, and we know that Britain was scouted up here, and they have a big time interest in him, and he, they would certainly do well to have him on the back end of that bullpen. But uh, again, it's about what you're going to get back. And I don't know exactly what their farm system is like. I know it's that they've good. got a, it, they've got good. a lot of good young players, but are they far- are they near right major league ready? Is the idea? Well, their farm system. You know, the Dodgers and the uh, the Dodgers and the Astros both have farm systems that are considered by people who know a whole lot more about minor league baseball than than I do to have um, you know to have really good farm systems. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there are prospects there. Uh, but I think what the Orioles need back is a starter who will be ready to pitch for them no later than 2018, if not now. Uh, plus maybe, you know, uh, if somebody had a shortstop who was near major league ready, because that's something that the Orioles don't have. You know, and they, they can always use an outfielder, but I mean, starting pit, starting pitching uh, is something that you know. Obviously, the Orioles haven't done a good job at developing, and, and the the Hellickson trade, in, in a lot of ways, is an admittance that the farm system hasn't produced the way they wanted. Right, uh, they wanted it to. Well, let me ask you something. You are down in uh, Texas with the team, and you, uh, I know, visited a presidential library yesterday. Yes, I visited three in the last uh, three three uh, in two days. Yeah. Uh, yes. So, how was that uh, venture for you? That was enjoyable. Um, I um, I want there are thirteen presidential libraries from Herbert Hoover on through uh, George W. Bush. The uh, Obama Library is still is is not yet under construction. Uh, but my one of my goals was to visit all thirteen of them. And I, I've now visited seven of them. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a fun that's a really fun personal diversion. And for baseball fans, there are uh, a couple of uh, interesting baseball exhibits in the George W. Bush uh, uh, presidential. Oh, from his ownership days, yeah. From his ownership days, and uh, and also just as a fan, you know, he's got all kinds of uh, he's got all kinds of uh, baseballs, autographed baseballs, of course. You can't you can't read the writing on any of them, because uh, as you know, Craig, uh, ball player signatures are uh, generally about as illegible as my uh, handwriting. <laughs> uh, really quickly, uh, with two things I want to touch on. One with Tillman last night. I'm watching the game a little bit because the Nationals game was was right. banged at about 4:30, so I was able to sit home and watch the the Oriole game. I'm watching Tillman pitch, and to say that there's something still wrong with that shoulder, I think is an accurate statement because the curveball last night at times, I mean, just was nowhere close to the plate. He threw a wild pitch last night just for overcompensating, and it just doesn't appear that he can throw the ball over the top anymore. Well, it's funny because – the the previous three starts, you know, he had started to look closer to the Tillman that that, that we've seen. 
you know, from 2012 to 2016. Yeah, three straight starts, three runs or less. Yeah, and, and last night was, you know, maybe his second worst of the second or third worst of the year. So I, I think that there's, uh, you know, I, I think that if people want to speculate that he's hurt, I think that that's, you know, he of course says he's not. He said he, he did say he had some cramps last night, mm-hmm. but I mean that's almost understandable because game time temperature is 99 degrees. Uh, so I, I think that you know that that fans who want to speculate that he's you know his shoulder isn't there, I think that's uh, a fair speculation. It's going to be interesting to see who comes out of the rotation right now to uh, so that Jeremy Hellickson comes in or. You know, I don't think they're going to go with six. I don't think they're going to go with six starters. Uh, but you know, maybe this can save uh, Bundy a little bit. Well, that's what we were thinking. Probably, you know, with the way Buck wants to try to use Bundy here these last two months is just, you know, and until they play themselves totally out of it, if they haven't already, then you may just see him shut down the rest of the way. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I think, but I think that because I think it's kind of important that. They they want him to finish a whole you know show that he can go a whole season as a starter, but uh, you know there's nothing you know there's nothing in the in the high minor leagues absent of Jason Aquino who's been inconsistent at AAA that they're really you know somewhat high on as a as a starter. So it's uh, so I think it's it's imperative if they're going to make one of these if they're going to try and trade Zach Britton or even Brad Brock that they get somebody back who can at least eat some uh eat, eat some innings uh and and you know maybe serve as a, a possible starter for 2018 well the other thing you're down there uh covering you may get a chance to see history and that's adrian beltre uh tonight uh two hits shy now of becoming i think the 15th person uh for 3,000 hits correct no, I think it's about thirty. Oh, I'm sorry. I think, 30, uh, yeah, the, the, I think it's thirty-three. Thirty-three. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know where right. fifteen came from. Uh, but anyway, but, uh, to but see it's him, a very, it's still a very, very short list. It's a short list, but that usually means uh, close to first ballot Hall of Fame. Uh, and certainly, I don't think there's any question that he's a he's a Hall of Famer. No, and you know what's what's interesting, Craig, is that he, he's a guy who is universally admired throughout the game. And incredibly underpublicized, you know, for, yeah. for all his you know for all his accomplishments, um, casual casual fans don't really know Adrian Beltre. Of course, they should, because he's a wonderful you know a wonderful third baseman, and and, and been a, and, and been a terrific hitter. So and he's played in World Series, you know, he played in you know World Series with the Rangers, but. You know, he just hasn't had that the notoriety that a, a player of his accomplishments uh, should have. Uh, so, and, and I think part of it is, uh, you know, other than at the beginning of the career, his career when he was with the Dodgers, he pretty much hasn't played in a lot of, you know, big media markets. He briefly played in in Boston, but he's played much much of the other time in in Seattle and Texas, and neither of them are are, are big. You know, big time baseball markets that you know that the media flocks to, and, and in a lot of ways, he's also been you know he's overshadowed in Seattle by some other great players. Right, and and you know the one thing that everybody ta- doesn't talk about, I think, as much as they should, 
is his defense because he's been yeah. one of the best third basemen around. You sure have. You know, you sure have. Uh, and, you know, I'm personally, I'm rooting for him to get two hits uh, while I'm here because it's one of the few things on my bucket list that I haven't done, my baseball bucket list, is see a 3,000 hit. And I don't know how many more chances I'm going to get. So, Well, when you uh, think about 2999 or 29 98 heading into tonight to go along with 454 home runs. Uh, no question about it. He's uh, right up there on the list of uh, the greatest players ever, and uh, I, I think the Hall of Fame is uh, going to be calling him one day. Well, I think so, too. I think so too. I think it's also apropos that this is Hall of Fame weekend. But a lot of, a lot of the Texas people, it's interesting because a lot of the Texas people, writers and club officials, aren't aren't with the Rangers this weekend because they're up at Cooperstown. Yeah, because of Pudge. Rodriguez, yeah. Which is, uh, uh, which is quite, a, uh, quite a coincidence. Quite a coincidence. Well, Rich, we appreciate the time. Uh, have a good stay in Texas, and uh, we'll see you back at the uh, yard on Monday when the Orioles return home to start a homestand. All right, thanks very much for having me, Craig. All right, Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Yes, sir. I do want to ask you, and you might touch this with Chelsea later on, but um, with the Nationals, are you concerned about this injury bug that's really hit them, especially most notably with Steven Strasburg getting on the DL? Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting situation from this standpoint. They put him on the DL, but they backdated it so that he would only miss one start. Okay, now Dusty said that he will throw, do some throwing throw what he said was a quote-unquote real pen, which means you get out in the bullpen, you throw an inning or a certain amount of pitches, maybe 15 to 20, you sit down, you get up, you throw it, and you do that three or four times to kind of simulate a regular game and uh, for as much as you can. And if they come out of that or if Strauss comes out of that where he feels comfortable enough with the forearm that it's not an issue anymore, and you probably won't know that, until the day after he throws the pen. So from that standpoint, you, you see whether he's progressing the way he wants to. And as Dusty always says, nobody can tell you how you feel other than the guy who's doing it. And, for, and then you'll find out whether or not the team feels as though he's 100% ready to go with the doctor's opinions and things of that nature. So they're going to test it out over the next week to see uh, when and if he can make his next start. Are they really concerned since it is an elbow issue and he's all? Well, it's not an elbow before. issue. It's oh, a it's forearm not. issue. Forearm, okay. Yeah, it's it's a forearm issue. So, again, they also talked about an impingement that was relieved uh, when they saw the doctor when they came back off the road trip because remember he was yanked after two innings of his final start. Right. So, they took care of that, and they'll see how that progresses. Uh, going forward uh, with Steven. But, you know, when you're looking at, you know, Max Scherzer and then Geo and Tanner Roark has righted the ship now. Tanner's probably pitching as well as his last three starts as he has all year long, and he was slumping there for a while. Uh, it was funny. I asked Dusty yesterday a little bit about, you know, what do you think has turned this around? And he's talking about – attitude, confidence, something he didn't think he had earlier just because he was trying to, you know, he, he, he was 
on the shelf a little bit early in the year. It took him some time to get going. And he wasn't having his command of his pitches the way he normally would. Uh, and now, last time out, I mean, he was fabulous. He, you know, double-digit strikeouts, uh, held the team down again. And uh, this is like three straight starts in a row for him. So from that standpoint, I think Rorick's back. Uh, you know, and, and, they, and they need Strauss. But with a 13 or 12, 13-game lead, whatever it is now, you want to make sure as you're dealing with this going forward, knowing that he missed an entire postseason or, you know, the last month of the season and mm-hmm. couldn't pitch in the postseason and you haven't had him, you want to make darn sure that he's ready for the postseason this year. So it's better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry. I say you've got the cachet of the big lead. Take as long as you can to get him right. And the only thing we need to find out is, is it anything more than the forearm? And, and at this point, all indications are it's not. So we'll have to wait and see. But the uh, Nationals rained out yesterday, and uh, they uh, called that game early last night, 4.30. So that was a good thing. It's a blessing, huh? That's a blessing because <laughs> the last rain delay I sat through at Nats Park <laughs> – was three hours, and the first two hours of it, they didn't even have the tarp on the field. So, do, we do, do you think because of that, they were being a lot more cautious here and postponing the game earlier so it wouldn't happen again? Well, no, I just think from a standpoint of the, the entire forecast, we kind of even knew. And, and even so, now, we haven't had any rain this morning, but this was supposed to be rain up until about 2 or 3 o'clock this afternoon. Right. So it's supposed to clear out. Tomorrow's supposed to be beautiful. So they play a game tonight against, uh, uh, you know, they, they play a game against the Rockies uh, tonight at 7.05. Then they'll turn around and play a day-night doubleheader tomorrow, first game at 1.30, uh, and the second game at 7.05. And uh, it'll be interesting. They're staying on the same rotation, keep everybody in line, which means Rourke will pitch tonight. And then uh, tomorrow, Eric Fede who's come up from the minor leagues to take Strauss's place uh, for a start, will pitch in one of the games. And as of last night, we didn't know what order. Uh, but it's Eric Fetty, and then it's going to be uh, uh, Jackson in the second game. So uh, we'll see what Edwin has tomorrow as well after a great start in Anaheim against the Angels. And then he came back and got beat around a little bit uh, in that last game that he pitched uh, in, in against Milwaukee against the Brewers in the eight nothing game. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of a factor he will be with this team as the last two months approach and heading into the postseason. Just exactly what his role is. And keep in mind, Edwin was a part of the 2012 team. Uh, that uh, the Nationals, when they got to the postseason and lost that uh, divisional series in five games to the Cardinals, uh, Edwin Jackson was a big part of uh, them getting to the playoffs that year. And uh, coming up shortly, we'll talk to Chelsea James of the Washington Post because not only did the uh, Orioles make a deal with the Philadelphia Phillies last night, the Nationals made a deal with the Philadelphia Phillies as they acquire Howie Kendrick, uh, from the Phillies, and uh, to talk about that and a lot more Nationals is Chelsea James from the Washington Post. Joins us on the hotline now, and Chelsea, good morning, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm well. Well, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night, my phone goes off, and we find out that uh, Howie Kendrick 
is now a member of the Washington Nationals, and here's a here's a second baseman and an outfielder uh, whose bat, I think, is a veteran bat and can really help this team. It's going to be interesting to see how Dusty uses him going forward. Yeah, I think it's a, a really big upgrade on what they had on the bench already. Um, I think you'll see him in the starting lineup a lot until Jason Worth gets back. It only makes sense. You know, they sort of are feeling for a top-of-the-order guy. He can fit that. I mean, he's like a 290 career hitter. He can play left field for you, probably a little better than Adam Lind, who's done fine, but isn't the speediest guy. So, you know, I think I think it's a, a really nice move. It's not one I expected them to make, to be honest. You know, I think they were just going to kind of – I got the sense they were going to wait it out and try to, you know, get everyone healthy. But obviously they saw an opportunity there, and, and it's, you know, somebody you look at and you say, wow, that, that really makes them better. Yeah, and, you know, the other part about this, too, it, it leads me to believe maybe – and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it leads me to believe that this Jason Worth toe injury is probably a little worse than what they say or what they have been saying because Dusty told us yesterday they've stopped him from running again, and that's sending up some red flags for me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Dusty's <laughs> understanding of it is a, I, I think that they never really started him running. I mean, they started him running in, in – July at one point and then stopped, but that was pretty much five weeks out from a broken broken bone, which was pretty early. So, I mean, from from what I had heard, he'd only ever run on a treadmill that was taking some of his weight off and, and you know really diminishing the impact there. So, I don't think he got super far running. Um, and you know, it, it's there's a broken bone and it's worse than what they initially said, but not worse than what they initially thought it was. And I think that just you know they weren't forthcoming about that, and that's why we all sit here and say oh, my gosh, it's something worse. It's, it's what they thought it was. They just didn't tell us what they thought it was. Right. And, and that secrecy is what makes it seem so much worse. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely an element of uncertainty there, and that's, you know, another reason they probably felt like they needed to go out and get somebody just in case. And, and also just the injuries to Heisey and Rayburn. And, you know, at some point you got to say, well, we can't just wait for everyone to figure this out. You know, we we got to get somebody in here. And I think they got somebody who – fits as well when Jason Worth is healthy as he does when he's not. It's amazing to me that they have gone through as many injuries as they have and still producing like they have, offensively in particular. I mean, it just seems like whoever Dusty decides to play on a certain day, whoever he decides to give rest to on a certain day, it just doesn't seem to disrupt the apple cart, if you will, I mean, this this offense is still pretty potent. Yeah, I think that, you know, that heart of the order is really important, obviously, and, and those guys are usually in there. But even when they're not, like you said, they've been able to put it together. And I think, you know, Adam Lynn's been huge. You know, Matt Weeders, for all his struggles, has been able to come up big in a lot of situations. So, you know, I, I just – and I think that they're getting adequate rest. You know, people get on Dusty for, for sitting guys a lot. But would you rather sit them, a, you know, one game a week or have them sit out 15 days with an injury and I think that's how he's calculated it and and so far it's worked it seems like it's kept guys fresh it's kept them you know kind of emotionally stable and I think that that's really important I you know I I think that's one reason they've been able to withstand the injuries is because even when people have been injured he's made it a point to not overwork any of the, the fill-ins and, and I just think that that's you know we saw a lot of injuries in 15 and it didn't go this way it didn't work out you know it isn't yeah. easy to manage around those and I think that's something that has to be mentioned because it's it's going better this time. And, and what's the difference? Well, I think that more guys are getting rest more often, and 
it's just a, a different kind of vibe. So I think that that deserves a lot of the credit as well as that middle of the order, which is really hard to, hard to match around baseball. Yeah, it really is. When you stop to consider how many runs they've scored this year, uh, you know, that emotionally stable thing you brought, that emotionally stable thing you brought up is a good idea because I think from that standpoint, you and I ought to take a few more days off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Uh, you know, we get rained out last night. Uh, they're going to stay on rotation. So Tanner Roar gets the start tonight against the Rockies and then the day-night doubleheader tomorrow. Eric Fetty will still pitch one of those games. Uh, they're going to have Strauss throw a bullpen at some point in time. Uh, and then coming out of that bullpen, uh, which will be they'll try to simulate a game, if you will, you know, throwing about 15, 20 pitches, getting up, getting down, that kind of thing. Uh, and then he'll find out exactly how he feels with the forearm. But you have to kind of feel like you probably won't know exactly how he feels until the day after he throws that pen. Yeah, definitely. Or even his next start. You know, it's one of those things that I think we all hear them say, oh, he'll just miss one start. And we say, yeah, right. You know, like there's just so much doubt around him at all times. And I think that, that we have every right to think that way. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's never been easy with him. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I, – I firmly believe they think he's okay. You know, I, I really do because, you know, if, if they didn't – there'd probably be another starter here by now, you know, if he was really going to be out for any substantial time, maybe if they make a deal in the next two days. But I, I'd be surprised. You know, I think that they think he's okay. And, you know, until proven otherwise, I think they're going to give him every chance to come right back and – and, you know, miss just one start. But it's, it's just a hard guy to bet on, you know. And, and I think we'll know when he makes that start. So, you know, the bullpen will be telling how he feels the day after will be telling. But if he can get past the third inning and that next start and not have any problems, then we'll be able to say, okay, maybe he's all right. And, and you know, you until you see that, you just don't believe it. And, that you know, it's the kind of unfair reality of Steven Strasburg that he's, he's been hurt before. And so we kind of sit there and think, okay, well, prove to me that you're healthy before I believe in this. And, you know, I mean, they really need him. So you hope that they're right. Well, there's no question that they need him, but I'm of the opinion of whatever this is, make sure you've got a good handle on it. If no matter how many starts he has to miss, whether it's one or two or three, make sure it's right before you put him back out there because, as, as you said, they need him, especially when the postseason rolls around. Because here's a guy that missed last year in, in the you know last month of the season and in the postseason didn't have him. And you you remember back to 2012 where he was shut down and they didn't have him then, uh, and that was for obviously a totally different reason. But I would think from a a mental standpoint, it's got to be weighing on Strauss himself because. He, you know, something like this comes up, and then you know you're looking at it being just about into August, and it's kind of hard for me to think he's not saying to himself, "Oh boy, here we go again." Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he's probably feeling the same way we all are. I mean, he's been through it, and you know, whatever reputation he's gotten, you know, I think he it really takes a toll on him when he can't pitch, and I I think that it's just because of where the injury is too I think you're right they need to sit down and really be careful there's nothing to be gained from rushing him back with the lead they have but it's also just scary you know it's a scary place to have pain in the place that he had it last year same thing it's not good and so you just kind of have to you have to be overcautious and you also have to kind of keep that 
skepticism about him because anything near that elbow is a problem. It's a real problem, and it doesn't seem like it's going away. This is two straight years now. So, you know, you just hope you can contain it through October and that the rest of the, you know, off season will help. But, yeah, I mean, he's, he's had trouble getting through seasons, and, and at some point you just you just kind of got to cross your fingers and hope it's not a big deal. But it seems like, you know, everything is with him. <laughs> Uh, we haven't talked to you since the acquisitions of uh, Ryan Matson and Sean Doolittle, and Doolittle out of the gate on the road trip uh, had uh, two saves, although he gave up a run in each of those appearances, albeit the second time it was an unearned run. Uh, but then he came in when the game uh, was a little out of, out of line or out of hand the other night, and he gave up three runs and got hit around a little bit. Uh, what's the general sense that you're getting uh, and, and the feeling from the front office as far as the acquisition of these two solidifying this bullpen going forward, and obviously the bullpen's been an issue all year long. Yeah, I think they feel good about it. You know, I think I talked to Doolittle yesterday, and he felt like he just kind of lost his arm spot a little bit, and he's been looking at video, and he says it's something he's felt before, and, you know, you can see how a guy who's never traded teams, never, you know, switched teams, coming to a new team is trying to do a little too much, and I think that's pretty much what's happening. Um, I don't think anyone in the front office is worried that he isn't what they thought he is. You know, his numbers are just too good in his career to you know, think that this is anything to worry about. And he's still gotten it done. You know, I think that's really telling, too. Um, Madsen's been great. Madsen's been better than I think anyone could have thought he would be. The stuff is, you know, 97 with a ridiculous curveball. I mean, that's pretty good. But, you know, I think they would like to get one more piece in there. And, and if they do, then you have to say, like, wow, this is actually a pretty legitimate bullpen at this point. You know, they can kind of take and mix and match with the guys who have been good all year and fill out the rest of it. But if, if they're able to get one more piece in there, and I think they're going to try, then, you know, you're looking at something very different than they've had all year, something where the guys who pitch well can get to pitch and the guys who haven't won't have spots. And you're going to have a lot fewer weak links. And, and I think that that's, you know, kind of was the plan all along, but you kind of wondered if those deals were going to get made, and, and now it seems like they are. It seems like they're going to do what they said they were going to do and then bolster that bullpen, and, you know, once that happens, this team looks pretty formidable again. One of the one of the guys who's very, very intriguing to me in this bullpen is Annie Romero because he throws 100, might not know necessarily know where it's going all the time, but there's been times out there where he's been absolutely dominant. And if this guy can refine what he has stuff-wise, you have to feel like the Nationals have found themselves a pretty good pitcher, especially on the back end of that pen. Absolutely. You know, I mean, he's had his ups and downs, but I think he's been a really nice find of their scouting department because he was a guy that Tampa Bay gave up on last year, and they said, well, you know, we'll take him. We believe in this guy. And you see why. But they've also helped him. I mean, he hasn't had nearly the walk trouble that he used to have. I mean, he has been better. There's been times when he's given up too much hard contact and you say he needs a second pitch. You know, he's working on it. But he's also been thrown into really important late-game situations where instead of maybe tinkering and and trying stuff out like he probably should be doing at this point in his career, he's having to get the eighth inning out. And that's just not the role that he's ready for, I think. You know, I think that's fair to say. So. Yeah. To be able to yeah. have any Romero develop in the sixth or seventh is a very different thing than having him get key outs in the eighth or ninth. And I think that now that they've added, that's something he'll be able to do, and you'll be able to see him grow a little more. But 
yeah, I mean, he's he's quietly been good. He hasn't been perfect, and so you kind of don't think about it. But he's been better than he ever was in Tampa Bay with perfect command, and, and that's what the Nationals hope they get. Let me ask you something oh, yeah. real quick about the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony. <clears throat> Pardon me, tomorrow. And that's that uh, a couple of guys who were big for this uh, franchise, if you will, Certainly one more than the other, but, uh, you know, for the Nationals, Pudge Rodriguez played here a couple of years, albeit on the backside of his career. Uh, and we were, talking to, we were talking to Rich Dubroff earlier uh, where he is down covering the Rangers-Orioles down in Arlington, and he says hardly anybody uh, from the Rangers are in town for that series because they're all up at Cooperstown to watch Pudge be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But... Pudge and also, uh, you know, Tim Raines going in, uh, a great Montreal Expo uh, before, the, before the franchise, you know, eventually moved to Washington. But uh, you talk about two guys, and, and especially with Raines, Ricky Henderson. He was Ricky Henderson before Ricky, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and I think sometimes he doesn't get a lot of the credit he deserves. Yeah, I mean – it's funny because, you know, we've heard kind of Dusty talk about him glowingly and you just, you can kind of sense what he was. Um, and I think, I think it's a really interesting induction for from the national perspective in that you have a guy, like you said, in Pudge who was here and meant something here, but maybe didn't mean as much as he did to other places. Um, and you have Tim Raines who is, you know, obviously a huge part of this franchise but people don't like to look at this as the expos. And so it's just really interesting because it is a part of national history right now, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's a part of these nationals. And, you're, you know, it, it reminds you how young all of this is here. You know, it's like, you know, Tim Raines is somebody, obviously, I remember, and it's like, well, you know, he's still not the first national. The nationals still haven't had that guy. You know, he's an right. expo. He's not a national. And that's, my, that's what strikes me about it all, is that they're still waiting for their guy, and they're there, but... It, it takes so much time. It's just, like, so interesting to me, you know. And, and Pudge Rodriguez is the first national in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, is he? Is he you know, it's just really interesting, and it kind of reminds me of how much time these things take to develop, and, you know, it, it hasn't been a long time in D.C., and, and this is still the first generation of nationals, really. Yeah. You know, Zimmerman, and, Zimmerman and Harper, and, and, you know, you're watching this team grow, and, you know, I think it's kind of fun to think about what we'll look back on a couple, you know, decades from now about this team, because, this is really the first group, and it's special in that way. It is special because it's been their first playoff uh, group, if you will, group that's been a part of the playoff appearances. But that brings me to my next question. We, we saw Ryan Zimmerman uh, break the franchise record for home runs or actually tie it uh, with uh, Vladimir Guerrero. And then, you know, I, I wanted to get your take on what you feel about that or how you feel about that. Should the Nationals' records be separate from the Expos' records, or do you feel like it all should be clumped into one? It's funny. Every time I tweet about an Expos' record, I get destroyed on Twitter, and I think people really don't want the Expos' thing to be a part of it, but it, it is, you know. I mean, there are people, Ian Desmond was an Expos' draft pick. Yeah. You, just like, you disregard that whole part of history. I don't think you, you do, but then do you count the Senators because they were a D.C. baseball team? It, it's just a really interesting thing. I mean, I... I personally think the franchise stuff is important. You know, I mean, 
it, it, this is who they were. This is where they came from. It's a part of their, their history. I mean, there's holdovers from the Expos days, and, and it's, it's kind of, you can't just start it with the Nationals because it didn't just start with the Nationals. Some of those early Nationals were Expos. And, you know, I, I, when you look back all the way to Expos, you get guys like even like Chris Byer who's now back. And, it, I mean, there's, there is history there, but it just wasn't made here. So, I, yeah, I mean, I tend to think that the Expos stuff matters, but it's just really funny to see the backlash whenever I suggest that because people just don't, it, they want it to be the Nationals and not the Expos, and I can see why, but um, I don't know. I don't know that you can completely separate the two. My, my problem with the move from Montreal down to Washington was they brought Latson with them. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Bill Bill is up in in uh, Cooperstown this week, this weekend covering all the All Star. I mean, all the uh, Hall of Fame uh, activities okay. up there. So that's a a pretty neat assignment for him, and he's mm-hmm. uh, all jacked up about that. Five more minutes here with Chelsea James of the Washington Post, and uh, Chelsea trade deadline comes up on Monday uh, at four o'clock, and we're hearing the Nationals uh, being linked to. Uh, Wilson, the closer from the Tigers, are you hearing anything about that? Yeah, I know they had special assistants looking at him. You know, they sent some of the, the big advisors to Rizzo over there um, over the past month or so to look at him. And, but that, they've looked at a bunch of guys. So, you know, that's kind of not really narrowing it down at all. But they have looked at him. And, you know, they should. I mean, he makes a lot of sense and he's under control. And, you know, Brad Hand in San Diego is another guy that I think of when I, you know, think of possibilities. Both really interesting because they're both left-handed, which the Nets don't necessarily need lefties. They've got a lot of them, but, you know, they, they just happen to be two of the good relievers out there. Um, I, th- I think they'll go get one of them. I really do. I, I, or at least make a really valiant push. I don't think they're going to go find, you know, the closer that everyone wants, the proven Chapman kind of guy. But right. three really good eight-inning types is a huge help. And if Sean Kelly comes back healthy, I mean – I think it turns into a really nice bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I know they've looked at Wilson. I know Hand is somebody that's always kind of on everyone's radar right now. And the, all the names we've heard all along have, you know, make sense for a reason. Um, I don't know if the Giants guys interest them a lot, but um, for now those are names that I look at and think are really realistic possibilities. And, you know, I guess we'll find out within the next 48 hours or so. Well, with the injury to uh, Chris Heisey, and him trying to make his way back, and, of course, Trey Turner on the DL right now and things of that nature. How do you see Howie Kendrick, and, yes, you'll get, he'll get some starts, we know that, but where, how do you think Dusty is going to fit him in in terms of, you know, he can obviously spell Murph at second base, uh, he can play some left field, uh, but how do you think Dusty will, will try to slot him in? I think he's going to play left a lot until Worth comes back. I mean, it's, I, I don't have any reason to think that. You know, obviously, we haven't talked to Dusty yet or anything, but it just makes so much sense. I mean, you're hunting for a two-hole guy. You know, Goodwin's done a nice job in center, but you're really kind of feeling for left field. Everywhere else is pretty settled. So, And he just slides right in, gives you a top-of-the-order guy, can hit righties, can hit lefties, can play the defense out there. I just think he fits perfectly. And, and I think you're right that he's someone that's you know, you, you go get thinking Jason might be out a little bit longer. But then also when you think about what that means long-term and their bench, I mean, Kendrick, Drew, Adam Lind, Jose Lobatone, and, you know, Defoe or Goodwin for the playoff bench, that's a heck of a bench. I mean, that's a really experienced bench. And 
you know, I think that this is that's why Kendrick is such a fit because I think he can start now, and then when you get everyone back, you know, he is an excellent kind of bench that with postseason experience and and just a little bit of an edge. And I I was surprised that the move happened, but it made a lot of sense in hindsight, and I I really think they got better by getting him. Two other things, real quick, before we let you go. One, Matt Weeders cooled off a little bit at the plate, uh, but overall. How do you think this organization views the acquisition of Matt Weeders now as he's been the primary guy all year long? I think they're happy with him. I think that the, the pitching staff is pretty happy with him. They like how he thinks out a game plan. And, and for these starters, basically your job as a catcher is to, to not mess them up. So if you can gain their respect, that's even better. And I think he has done that for sure. I think he's really helped a lot of them take new approaches to their game plan. Um, some of the relievers too. I've talked to Matt Brace about you know how Weeders has kind of helped him to to have the success he's had. So I, I think they're happy with it. I, I think they, you know, maybe wish they got a little more offense, but it just seems like he's able to come up with big hits all the time. Um, and that's that's sort of all they need from him in this lineup. So you know, I, I think I think they're happy with it. I, I think they needed a starting catcher, and, and he was a guy that fit, and he fit right into the clubhouse, and he's not going to get saved by the playoffs. He's experienced. You know, he just kind of fits. And he's, he's been there and he hasn't hurt them. And he's helped a pitching staff that didn't need a lot of help. But I think that that's, you know, kind of all they could ask for him. And the last thing, you and I and a few of our other colleagues went over into the Rockies uh, clubhouse yesterday to talk to former national Ian Desmond, who has been battling a calf injury and he was looking so forward to playing in this series, back at the stadium, seeing a lot of people that he knew and a, a lot of friends that he had come in contact with from his days in D.C., and he gets placed on the disabled list yesterday with that calf injury. Uh, I didn't expect him to play yesterday had we played just because of the field conditions, but uh, it was great to see Desi, and you won't find a better human being, number one. Number two, uh, his passion for this game and the city of Washington really came out yesterday in that little brief interview. Yeah, he's, you know, he's one of those guys who, you know, around the league, you probably don't know why he means so much to the Nationals. I mean, he was a great player, but he wasn't, you know, an absolute legend, Hall of Fame type. But he just was a good guy when he was here and a part of that growth that we kind of talked about and, and really went out of his way to, you know, make himself a part of things. You know, he knows every usher. He knows every security guard in the dugout, like you mentioned. You know, he... He worked at the academy. I mean, there was no one that he didn't get to know and that he didn't consider a part of his experience. And I think, you know, that brought a lot of people into his world, too. And a lot of people were very invested in who he was and became. So, yeah, I mean, he just made a special impact here and, and you know, one of the better humans you'll find. And um, I think one of those guys who will always mean a whole lot more here than he will to, you know, any other team just because of, you know, what he did and how he handled himself. And, and it was, you know, you could tell he was really happy to be back, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chelsea, we appreciate the time uh, this morning. It's always great to get up with you to talk Nats baseball. And we'll see you out at the park later tonight. And uh, get ready for that long day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post. As, uh, well, just She does a great job covering the Nationals uh, for the Post on a daily basis. And uh, her and Jorge Castillo. And... Uh, that's really, really good uh, baseball stuff from those two. And uh, we are going to take a break now and come back on the bat around. 
close things out, preview what's coming up today and tomorrow, and uh, maybe get Bonds's uh, input on some of what's coming up today and tomorrow. Back after this. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire. Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireandAuto.com to find out more. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Cannon Yards. Yeah, I mean, we've been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press that. box. Find section 336 at the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com or by going to iTunes or section 336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Jobbing Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Back with you on the bat around, Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan, who just decided to take a hiatus for an hour today. Well, it does make this show a lot better, doesn't well, it? Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Stan, that was him that said that. Anyway, uh, I got some stuff coming up uh, later today. Obviously, uh, the two games at the top of uh, next hour uh, that will be going Tampa Bay. Uh, in New York at the big ballpark in the Bronx against the Yankees as uh, the Yankees have now moved ahead of Boston 
into first place in the American League East by half a game as uh, last night the Red Sox lost at home uh, at Fenway Park. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. going to be interesting to see how that all plays out now with the David Price injury and just what they do from a pitching standpoint, what they do maybe between now and the trade deadline, uh, and, and just how serious the Price elbow injury is going to turn out to be because this is the same injury that kept him out the first two months of the season. So Red Sox with some issues there. If they can get it to the bullpen, then they're pretty solid the rest of the way with Kimbrell on the back end. But the Yankees uh, – uh, playing some pretty good baseball right now. They've gotten hot again. Judge seems to have found his home run stroke again. Uh, acquisition, uh, you know, that they've made uh, turning out to be positive for them. Brett Gardner's playing out of his mind. you got that game and also Toronto and the L.A. Angels uh, at uh, the Rogers Center a little later on. And then tonight, don't forget the Orioles in Texas, Kevin Gosman on the mound. Uh, for the Orioles and the Nationals will play at 7.05 tonight down in D.C. at Nats Park as Tanner Roark uh, will take the mound uh, for the Nationals and he will uh, be on his regular team, or regular turn, I should say. Uh, Herman Marquez will be on the mound for the Rockies. Uh, Rockies in, in the hunt in the wild card. So this is a big series for them. It's a big series for the Nationals because uh, – you think about uh, the teams that they're playing here recently with playoff implications for those teams. Nats, of course, with the big lead in the NL East. But uh, some pretty good baseball coming up the next two days. And don't forget, they got the day-night doubleheader tomorrow. I do want to mention, I've never seen such a magical season like the Dodgers are having this they're, year. They're out of their minds right now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it's amazing to me uh, that they are – playing the way they're playing and and what Dave Roberts has done and now they've got to you know go four to six weeks without Kershaw but again that's one of those things with his back you want to make sure that come the postseason for as good as their record is uh, right now best record in baseball and and 72 wins I think to this point uh, but but running away with the West and the other part of that too is a lot of people are of the mindset that if they do not get Kershaw back by the time the postseason, the team that right now is favored to win the World Series probably wouldn't win the World Series. But, I mean, Kershaw, his playoff resume is not that good. It's not that good. But think about last year in terms of getting them to the NLCS against the Cubs right? and what he did against the Nationals in the Divisional Series uh, – Pitching twice, got to say, and, and then the third time in in Game Five back in DC, where he closed that sucker out. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to uh, mention uh, we touched on this topic with uh, Shallon earlier. Mm-hmm. This past week has been terrible for umpires. More specifically, Will Little. I've never seen such a quick trigger. Not only on Stroman, the pitcher, but on Russell Martin, who I don't even know said a word. Well, all, all Russell did, unless Russell said the magic words, yeah. all he did was get up and turn around, and that that he did that got him tossed. Whatever mm. he said was probably what got him tossed. But just to see it on camera, yeah, you see him turn around after Stroman got got the the hook, and then he he immediately. I mean, it's at that point you're looking at little and saying. Why don't you just throw everybody out? <laughs> Everybody's here to see you. And this yeah. is what I have a problem with with Major League umpires. But yesterday, 
again with the Blue Jays. Angel mm-hmm. Hernandez, the umpire. We well, know what he's done, but he, he's he's one of the worst. It was J Hap. He was pitching to Mike Trout. Bases loaded, two out, three two pitch. Fastball just misses the corner, up and in. Hap has his glove in front of his mouth. He's covering his mouth. And you don't know what he's saying. And Angel's staring at him, takes a step forward, and says, what do you want? And then takes his mask off. Yeah. You know. And then Russell Martin even turned around and said, put your mask back on. And I give Hernandez credit for not tossing anybody out because I thought Gibbons was going to get tossed. But I just don't understand why umpires have to do that, especially, you know, Hernandez just started the trouble there. Well, at that time, John Gibbons is coming out, and he's trying to protect, number one, his player, but number two – you know, he's trying to tell Angel, look, get behind the plate. I'll go right. back to the dugout. Right. You know, and I'm not the biggest John Gibbons fan in the world. Yeah. You know, but for, for obvious reasons. Is but there any way to fix that? And obviously you don't agree with Stan's idea. Of the I robotic do not. Strike zone. I don't. I don't. But again, this is where Joe Torrey and the rules committee and the people who enforce, you know, punishment. And they've got to take a look at this. And, and uh, you know. The, the problem I've had with it, Bonza, for a long time is the fact that we always hear about player suspensions and fines. We never hear about whether or not umpires get fined, whether right. umpires get suspended. You know, what, what, what's the deal with there? What, what's the circumstances and, and Do they the even consequences of their actions? You know, because obviously, like the other night with Little, that's something that Joe Torrey's got to be looking into. Or the head of the Major League Baseball Mm-hmm. umpires union right i mean or, now they're always going to back that they're always going to back the umpires yeah but that's something that needs to be addressed and the Beltray ejection that was unbelievable well, the, the, the Beltray <laughs> ejection is great he tells him to get back in the in the in the in the on deck circle so Beltray runs over picks up the on deck circle and moves it over to where he was standing but here's the thing Beltray they want to see Beltray hit. The fans do. Mm-hmm. I think it was a sellout crowd. The game was not that good. I believe that was the 22 to 10 blowout right. from the Marlins. But you, Beltray's closing in on 3,000. You want to see his road to history, and you eject him for that? Yeah. That just does not make any sense. Well, again, you know, again, we're not on the field, so we don't know what was said or anything like that. But uh, that rule does need to be enforced probably a little bit more than it is in, in, in the umpire's defense there. But the way Beltray reacted to that, 3,000 hits or not, he goes to the Hall of Fame for me for that. That's going to do it for us on the bat around. And uh, I'm Craig Heist, and Stan the Fan and I will be back again next Saturday, 10 o'clock in the morning. Enjoy your baseball week, everyone. And let's see whether or not Kevin Gosman can put another one together like he had the last time out. Enjoy your long day on Sunday, by the way. Thanks a lot, Bonds. I appreciate that. We'll see you next week here on the Bat Around.